Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. In an ideal market economy, there are lots of companies that are roughly the same size and they compete against each other. Because there's lots of companies, they hire a lot of people, and consumers get a lot of choice and lower prices. In today's digital economy, however, there are a cluster of extremely powerful tech companies, and there's evidence that competition is not what it should be. I'm Clara Young, and I'm here with Casper Klinge, who's going to explain it all to me. Casper is Denmark's and the world's first tech ambassador, a position he's occupied since 2017. So thank you for speaking to me, Casper. My pleasure. Now, there have always been titans of industry like the newspaper, steel, and railroad barons of the 20th century. What's the difference between them and the titans of today? Well, I think, first of all, you're completely right. It, it's not a new phenomenon. So I think there are sort of two or three areas where today's big companies are different than their predecessors. I think one of them is the aspect of winner-takes-all phenomena, that the companies tend to become dominant in their own segment and, and therefore basically dominate the market space. Um, that's perhaps not unusual, but if you combine it with the next phenomena, which is it's very difficult to say what the digital companies of today are. If you take a company like Google, you know, is that an ad company? Is it an autonomous vehicle company? Is it a search engine? And I think that points to the fact that, you know, they have an approach to technology that transcends traditional borders of different sectors. And I think that's something which is, is new as well. And the last area where, where we believe that companies are different is because of the fast pace of development of new technologies, which means that, you know, we, we're trailing behind it. It happens at an enormous pace. And when you combine those three phenomena, you know, that's what we believe constitutes a slightly different industrial revolution compared to the previous uh, two or three that we've had uh, uh, in the past. And, and I guess that's one of the reasons why Denmark decided to appoint a tech ambassador as well. There's also a proclivity for these tech giants to buy each other up as well. So there, that makes fewer of them all the time. I think that's right. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about innovation. Uh, you know, I live most of the time in Silicon Valley. Uh, and of course, uh, we are looking into what is it, what's the secret source of Silicon Valley in creating innovation. We, we talk about the lack of innovation in Europe. But I think what is interesting with some of these big tech companies, and it's not only about the American companies, let me put that out. It's also about the Chinese companies, companies in Asia, etc. But that is that to some extent, they do innovation through acquisition. Uh, you know, they scoop up uh, the wonderful new uh, companies of tomorrow. They have a fantastic uh, overview of entrepreneurs and, and startups. Um, so on an anecdotal basis, you know, I, I was in one of the big headquarters in Silicon Valley and I ran into 15 uh, Danes and I said, you know, what are you doing here? And they said, well, we had this uh, great startup in, in Copenhagen and we were acquired by one of the giants and so now we live in California. And so now we're here. They were there. And, and I think that also points to an area where perhaps the, the digital economy is slightly different than in the past, that, that volume and, and greatness actually carries a lot of, uh, of advantages in, in scooping up innovation, new companies, promising companies as well. So should there be the need to uh, have different thresholds for looking at mergers to see, you know, is, is this making a company much too powerful? Is that something that we should rethink? Well, you know, we're sitting here in Paris in the middle of Europe, and of course, one of the things that, that most Europeans are concerned about is that we're not, we're not building the unicorns of, of tomorrow. In fact, we haven't been building the unicorns of the last five years. Mm. So how do we avoid stifling uh, innovation? And many points to the fact that one of our primary export commodities might be policies and regulations. And, and of course, finding the right balance in that is going to be important. You know, I represent a country where we've always had 
sort of a, a light touch approach to regulation. We like new technology. We like digitalization. We're probably one of the most digitalized countries in the world. Um, and we have no problems with very big companies making a ton of money as long as they don't misuse their dominant uh, position. I think the whole discussion on regulations or breaking out companies' uh, competition, you know, luckily that's where we have the European Commission, uh, the European Union come into into the equation. They are the ones that are, are taking a look on, on those aspects. I'm not an expert. What I would say is that I think on a global scale, we are seeing increasingly discussions both in the U.S. and Europe and in Asia on other limits to some of the sizes of the companies. And again, I don't have a position on that, but what I would say is I think it's helpful that that discussion, that debate is is ongoing because it, it points to one area which we think is incredibly important, and that is to have the companies take societal responsibility at a level which is proportional to the kind of influence they're exercising. Right. One thing that might not be clear to people listening is the fact that there are tech giants. Well, what does it matter? What kind of effect does it have on consumers? Mm. I think that there are two ways of looking at it. The first one is, you know, fantastic opportunities. And I want to stress that Denmark's diplomacy initiative is, is not driven out of fear of new technology or because we don't like the big platforms. Not at all. We see enormous potential in having technology solve some of the global issues that we are you're fighting, whether it's climate change or migration flows, bringing people out of poverty. Um, so I think the, the first point is that it brings a lot of opportunity to you and me as a consumer, uh, also to, to regions, to countries, to the world. I think where some of the scandals we've seen in the last couple of years, you know, Cambridge Analytica, several mm-hmm. other leaks of data, what that has pointed to is that as a consumer or as a regulator, as a country, there are uh, you know, a, a price tag with some of these new uh, products. And if the companies are not responsible in making sure they protect your personal data, that it's leaked or it's misused, well, that's something that I don't know. And, and you know, the jury will be out on that one. But I think consumers, uh, employees, governments, uh, civil society organizations will increasingly hold those companies uh, accountable and, and responsible. And that might not be a bad idea that we sort of regain equilibrium in, mm. uh, in the approach to, to big tech. To balance it out. There's also like a real price tag issue too, because if there is too much sort of preponderance of power with the tech company, we're seeing evidence now that the markups of prices is getting steeper because there's less competition. So that's something to be worried about too. Yeah, and and again, you know, it it will come as no surprise that, you know, Denmark, uh, most countries in the European Union are, of course, advocating for the importance of competition, for the importance of a level uh, playing field. And and I think there is an an intra-market aspect of that, but there is also an international aspect of that, which is, of course, we need to make sure that companies can compete uh, not only domestic markets, but also internationally. And and there will be, uh, you know, discussions in this area. I'm, I'm, I'm not in doubt about that. And I think the technology companies, the digital companies will be at the center of those discussions because of the opportunities uh, that these multi-platforms uh, bring about in using data from one uh, business area to another area. On the other hand, I think what we have to make sure is that data doesn't get a bad reputation because of some of the crises or scandals we've seen. You know, it will bring better health care, better diagnosis. It will cure some of the public uh, diseases that we have around. Um, a lot of opportunities uh, using data and new technologies. And, and, and we have to make sure that that doesn't disappear because of uh, a couple of uh, companies or a couple of executives uh, not living up to, to responsibilities. So is it like a couple of bad apples or is there something with the whole system that needs some rethinking? What do you think? 
the only thing I can say is based on my experience in you know, doing this job for one and a half years is that we tend to talk about the industry in sort of a monolithic way. Mm. And, and that's not how it is. Uh, of course, there are many, many different companies. And um, you know, again, just looking at, at my experiences, we've had fantastic collaboration with many, many companies, both in the US and Europe and in Asia as well. Then there's been a couple of companies that have been more difficult to, to work with. But I think the fundamental part here is that even inside the companies, they've been surprised about the success of, of their business models or, or the usability of new technologies. And I think actually, you know, I don't believe there are evil people, not even in, in, in uh, the C-suite and, and some of the big companies. They've been surprised about the influence or the power of the platforms they're sitting on. And they are as, you know, concerned or flabbergasted with how do you actually handle that now your next question might be so what do we do about it and, yeah. and our response is of course and, and that's what my job is all about increasing the dialogue between the private sector and the public sector getting more collaboration in a multi-stakeholder forum because we don't get it as governments we don't think that companies might get it either so we do need to share experiences talk about how we best regulate how we best develop policies how we avoid uh, that, uh, that the technology undermines our societies, our democratic values, our human rights. Is it uh, difficult to um, regulate digital companies? I mean, we, you talked about earlier about how there's not enough transparency, so it's difficult to know how they're designing their algorithms. Yeah, and this is perhaps one of the challenges. Uh, you've also seen companies coming out and saying, you know, we actually would appreciate more regulation. But we're all struggling with completely understanding how these new uh, technologies are used. And if you look at machine learning and the algorithms, AI systems, I think that's a good example of how do you regulate if you're half blind, if you don't fully understand what the algorithms are doing, you know, if you have to do a search and, and the result that you get is very different from the result that I get, you know, what are the decisions that are indirectly taken on your behalf? You know, to try and fix that, avoid biases, you do need insight, you do need to have a degree of transparency that I think we haven't uh, seen yet in all companies. And I think we will have to go in that direction, uh, not to reveal uh, sort of uh, uh, private sector secrets, but, but to have an open uh, discussion, sharing information in order to, to try and get it right. Have there been any cases of a relationship that you have with a tech company where it's worked, where there's more understanding on both sides about what the technology is and what the problem is, and you fixed it together? Yeah, fix it is, is perhaps um, a Maybe too optimistic, <laughs> but... Uh, as, as somebody working in international relations, it normally has quite a long time frame before we fix it completely. But but I wanted to give you one example on, on cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. You know, we believe that's going to be one of the major threats in, in the next decade, uh, very very serious issue that we need to find ways of solving and also raising the price of those that are uh, the aggressors or the malign actors, if you like. What we did uh, actually just a month ago was to try and multilateralize the diplomacy initiative. And we did that by bringing 22 uh, countries to, to Silicon Valley, to the Bay Area, um, to have discussions on norms, on attribution, on how we deal with cybersecurity issues. Now, that's not new. What was brand new, what hasn't, what hadn't uh, happened before, was that we invited the private sector to participate in, in in these conversations. So, we had 22 countries. We had a lot of the big technology companies around the table, and we talked about how do we fix this together. What what does what do a government need to do? What do we need to do in the United Nations? But what what part uh, of uh, of this difficult equation uh, rests in the hands of the big technology companies? And I think. 
that's the way forward. Um, we have to make sure that we, we don't necessarily treat a complex world in a non-complex way. And, and unfortunately, these are very difficult, very complicated issues. But having the companies being part of the discussions, taking responsibility for, for finding solutions and answers, I think that's the way forward. One of the problems in the relationship between governments and with companies is that um, most of the especially very successful ones are are global. And so the relationship between domestic companies and domestic you know governments is, is it's not the same. So perhaps this could be a way of dealing with a global coordination or cooperation situation that we need. I think that's absolutely spot on. And I think actually having again private companies participate in policy discussions or discussions on regulations or discussions on how do we make sure we have a competitive economy that will thrive in the digital age. You know, those are critical issues. And, um, you know, on rainy days, you can be a little bit concerned about where the world is heading and whether everybody will benefit from new technology and digitalization. But to avoid a digital divide, to avoid that this is really an inclusive digital world, a technology-driven world, we do need to have these conversations also with the private sector because they have to be part of the solution. They have to be part of uh, developing uh, the approaches, the policies and, and the regulatory frameworks that we need to employ. But from a point of view of logistics, isn't it difficult to arrive at solutions or even any kind of consensus on things when you have so many different voices, so many different governments, so many different companies? How do you make it work? Well, that's sort of the headache of, of all diplomats and international relations, I would argue. And of course, it is very complicated. And of course, you have many actors out there, and some of them are, you know, more interested in playing ball than, than others. But just because the world is difficult, it, it doesn't mean that we should give up. And, and I actually think uh, one of the main points in the discussions we've had here in Paris is that, you know, the digital age requires more international collaboration rather than less. And I will certainly uh, continue to argue that uh, we need to do everything we can to try and fix uh, some of these issues. And I just want to point out, it's, it's not small, tedious uh, things that we're talking about here. It's basically whether technology is undermining democracy, whether you have, you know, malign actors trying to meddle with election processes, whether individual rights, human rights are being uh, violated. You know, those are big, big topics that has an impact on you and me uh, sitting here in Europe, but it also has an impact on people living in Africa, Southeast Asia, or Latin America. And, um, and we firmly believe that we have a responsibility as governments, you know, regional organizations, international organizations, they have a critical responsibility, but the private sector cannot avoid uh, their part of this. And, and I think uh, the honeymoon is over from those days where they basically argue we need to have a vacuum, unregulated vacuum, and we'll, we'll fix the world by ourselves. Well, thank you very much, Casper. Thank you for listening to OECD Podcasts. I'm Clara Young. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.